Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. We're back, and it's an accident. We're back? Like, why do you always get to say we're back first? Last time I just said we're, and you said back. But oh, yeah. um, Our twin thing. I thought that... We, decades apart. <laughs> I thought that we were kind of done with the off-label medications that have been that have been investigated for alcohol That's use disorder. because when you were doing the research, you're like, I'm done. ADHD, I'm done. Oh, wait, no, I'm not. Oh, wait, there's another one. Oh, wait, there's another squirrel. But then I ran into some really interesting stuff. So we're just going to, this is going to be very short. We're calling it the, whoops, just a few more off-label treatments yeah. and medications for and alcohol I, use disorder. And I think really the last drug, which we'll talk about, which is prazosin, is You like, weren't supposed to say the okay, name of it. But that one's, to me, the most interesting. So, so now you have to listen to us babble on forever yeah. till well, we get to it. We're going to talk about a couple other drugs first. Okay, so <laughs> let's just start. Baclofen. So, yeah. Baclofen, of course, is that agonist of a... You know, GABA, GABA B receptors. And so uh, this has actually been used in alcohol dependent patients kind of at higher doses uh, for different treatments. But there I'm are some problems. What? <laughs> this accidental overdose? <clears throat> well, it's at high doses, it can be a problem. And so it's really important that, that people don't take too high a doses because there has been, you know, significant issues if people take. So it's kind of like much. what happened with the tricyclics. Like it was helping at bedtime, and then people took too much, and we're like, "Oops, yeah. I did it again." That what was a, a that was an you know inference to Britney Spears. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I don't know who she is. Well, I know who she is, but I don't even. I couldn't name one song. I just named one. Did you? Okay. So <laughs> there was a study done in 2015, actually by Imbert et al. And they were actually looking at all. At all. God, and God. you even wrote it like all, so you said it correctly. So I'd say it correctly. And then you still and, said it wrong. <laughs> it just seems like L. In 2015. Um, but they actually were investigating whether or not baclofen could do anything to the cravings and and how much intake people had of alcohol. And, and, and in fact, even some of the withdrawal syndromes that people would have following so discontinuation. Whole 67 patients. Yeah. And they, but they put them on oral baclofen. And what they did is they kind of observed and examined them for three months after they started the medicine. And it's really interesting what they found because basically what they, they saw in these patients is that, that they decreased their cravings in all patients. I mean, that's pretty amazing that the cravings go down. However, it was very different between people. So, I mean... That's my question. Well, I think it's interesting because when we look at some of the drugs that we use for off-label things, you know, for me, for instance, topiramate being one that I use for certain things off-label, it's a hit or miss. Some people seem to have a great response, some a little bit of a response. So my question is, does this study use a placebo? Uh, that no. one particularly did not. So then... They knew what they were doing. So then was there a response in all of them because they all knew they were taking something and they mm -hmm. all knew they should be having a response. And so it was really a placebo effect. It, again. So then really it's the same as the hit or miss. That's dangerous, right? We know that. So if you don't have that. Why do I become this like really good expert at understanding <sighs> journals? Let's move on and talk Picking about them apart. Let's talk Bur about it. Uh-huh. I don't think you're that good. Bur-aha. Uh -huh. 
Baraha um, at all. And this was actually in 2016. Hey. He did a review. So, okay. again, they looked at previously randomized placebo-controlled trials. Okay, so now we're getting better. Now we're getting better. And this was really with people with low to medium doses of baclofen. Again, we're trying to avoid those high doses, which can be problematic. And sadly, uh, when they used these low to medium doses of baclofen, they had rather inconsistent results. I wonder if Imbert and Baraha were actually both studies in the same one. And so they did this one first, they can get it published. And then they like changed it a little bit and had the placebo to get it published again. Mm, I don't know, but let me move on. So basically what they, what they decided after looking at the numbers was that there, the case studies suggested that there was dose response effects with this. And so um, there were definitely positive outcomes with higher doses, up to 270 milligrams of baclofen, which is pretty significant. Right, that's a huge dose. Mm-hmm. So France seems to like it. Yeah, so it's actually because of some of the studies, especially the case studies, in fact, that there, there is somewhat inconsistent findings with how people respond. But in, in France, this is, at the time of this writing in 2016, used and prescribed frequently. Hmm. So then now we're, I can't, does that say Raynaud? Yeah. First, he described people with white fingers. I was going to say. <laughs> like yours. That might not like great a dead sometimes. And then he thought, hey, let's stop with Raynaud's disease. Let's move on to alcohol. Uh, but in 2017, <laughs> he and some of his friends, I actually looked at baclofen and how. That was clever. Did you like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, studied baclofen's effect on, on uh, alcohol-dependent patients. 320. 320. Yeah. So we're getting, we're getting more robust in our studies here. Yeah. And so they went with kind of the medium high dose of 180 milligrams a day. And they actually titrated them up over seven weeks and found that when they got them there, then they went 17 weeks on maintenance. This seems like a well-organized study, actually. Raynaud had it But going. it didn't talk about, did they have a placebo arm? Uh, it doesn't say. Hmm. But they did not significantly improve alcohol abstinence with that dose. Did they not look at, like, so it looks like his study, the, the whole thing they were looking at was abstinence. Did they break down the study. secondary? No. No. And so, I mean, that would be interesting. Like, did they cut back? Which is still better than yeah, nothing. A lot. So. You know, sometimes they're looking at decreasing heavy drinking days, but it wasn't really designed for them. Right, which is like what naltrexone does. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, abstinence isn't necessarily always the goal in certain people. So the bottom line on baclofen, well, everybody thinks, well, we need more trials, right, to, to really decide what to do. And there needs to be a large-scale, uh, and really there's probably not indication for large-scale you know, prescribing as of yet. Can I just give you my two-second thoughts on baclofen? Because I'm going to anyway. You could. I may not listen, but go ahead. Okay, so... Baclofen was a med that I legit never use. Hmm. Like, it's just not one that I ever went to because, like, when I went through training, when I went through residency, when I started practice, like, all of a, not even a whole decade ago, it was, there's just always been a better med than baclofen. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just never been the first, second, or third line in my head. And then all of a sudden I start doing addiction and then you hear it thrown around once in a while. Yep. But it seems like everything we have discussed with baclofen, whether it's on here, on Echo, or just in general, because that's what we talk about because we're nerds, it just never seems to make the grade. Yeah. I think it needs, there just needs to be better studies. And I think part or of the issue- Or they just need to like realize baclofen yeah. should just- You know, again, you have to look at it a little bit. It's like- they're talking that the higher doses are better. That's probably dose response. I think you see that with things like topiramate too. 
that at the lower doses maybe not as helpful. But then and you have some to weigh studies, that against the risk. Yeah, and some of those some of those studies use fairly high doses. So hmm. okay. So the next one, number two out of three, is actually undansetron. Undansetron. Here's another med that's used for legit everything. Yeah, Zofran is the trade name. And of course, this is the selective 5-HT3 receptor antagonist. I like when you always say, you know, remember, this is a, you know, like you're, you remembered that that's exactly what it was. Yeah, it was all over it. And of course, the FDA approved this in 1991. I was, you know, I was just sitting around reading about it. (laughs) 1991? Yeah. I was all of like eight years old. I was like out playing with Barbies. Yeah, I was just getting a job. (laughs) And so... Basically, it's always been used, for the most part, for nausea and vomiting. And, you know, it was, honestly, this was a real breakthrough kind of drug because... Oh, I can only imagine. Especially since you could give it, you know, in the dissolvable things, and it was oral, and you didn't have to give people shots of compazine, which had a lot of side effects. And Can I just say, have you ever taken the oral dissolvable tablet of Ondansetron? I've almost taken no meds in my I know, entire life. But I don't love the formula. It's gross. It, I hate things that dissolve in my mouth. And But the nicest thing about this med oh, really? from a person who, yeah. Who's sickly? It's so tiny. Oh. It's a small medication. Oh, okay. Anyway. A, a shining glimmer of hope. Uh, okay, so here's one of the interesting studies. And there was actually two studies that happened about the same time, more in 2014 and Lynch and his friends in 2011. <laughs> Like that, I've switched at all to friends. Um, so both study the alcohol intake in rats. Now remember, that doesn't mean that it's going to be the same in humans. Cause and we are going to do a podcast on yeah. on that. I think you just interrupted me. But I did because I you've made, you said that because of what I told you earlier. We're going to talk about different uh, effects of things in, in other mammals. But rats are not humans. I just want to make that but clear. But they're mammals. Yeah. So they were treated with topiramate and or... Sofran slash Odansetron. Is that how you say it? No, Ondansetron. <laughs> on dancer, on prancer. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so in Moore's study, he showed heavy drinking rats. You know, just like, <laughs> let's go out, man. No, but uh, drinking rats responded to both drugs together or alone by decreasing alcohol intake. So both drugs seem to make the heavy drinking rats drink less. Whether they were taken together or individually. Yes. But I well, like how you spelled alcohol, but I'll just ignore yeah. that. Aloha hall. Um, but Lynch actually showed that both acute and chronic intake decreased with both drugs. So Lynch said you needed to have both topiramate with Ondansetron, but more showed you can have any of the combination. Yes. Gotcha. So so clearly there's a response to these these meds. And again... But that's weird. I wonder why. I, I don't know. Because a selective... It's not even like a full receptor antagonist that's serotonin. It's like a selective one that we never talk about. But let me be clear, Dr. Bell, that there have been multiple studies that have shown decreased alcohol consumption with Zofran. Oh, I love it. I love that this is the answer. Yeah. I really... Or not the answer. I'm so not trying to say that. Johnson but. and his friends... Kranzler, which is Johnson, like, like three different years, three different yeah. studies 2000, 2002, 2003. Kranzler, and you see his name a lot in some of the alcohol studies 2003, and Korea Filoa and his friends in 2013. <laughs> Don't ever say that again. But, but multiple studies have actually shown decreased alcohol consumption oh, I love with Sofran. So at normal doses, at relative, yeah, four, well, four to actually, eight milligrams BID, which is actually less yeah. than what you can give. 
for like normal nausea and vomiting because yeah. you can get four to eight TID in real, regular world. Yeah. So the bottom line is really both rat and human studies have shown promise in cravings and consumption of alcohol. And, so, and again, with topiramate, very similar, which again, so I'm not going to say it's my favorite drug off label for some of these things, but it's something I think about. Uh, but Zofran, very wink, wink. no, but I mean, I'm just kidding. I think this was really a learning experience for me that Zofran at those doses can do it. Uh, Dr. Bell, has I, have, hand raised, I so. have a, I can't ask somebody to pay me for this amazing thought I'm about to have and relay to you all because like then I would have to disclose this, oh, but I can see NIDA and or some other random drug company out there, preferably not one that's currently being sued. To, to make a combo pill between topiramate at some like random dose of like 120 with ondansetron dose of like six and make it like a combo BID med for this exact purpose. We'll get a press and just start making them. No, but <laughs> I know where we can get one in town. Yeah. Um. No, but for real, like this, this excites me. Yeah. But see, that was my sec- my next question for you. Yeah. I had two. One was how on earth does it work with only affecting that one selective serotonin receptor, but who cares? Yeah. And because it's normal dosing. And two, does it have to be taken twice a day, like stable? Um, and that the different dosing in these different studies was typically around 4BID or 8BID. So they just mm-hmm. scheduled it. It wasn't like an as-needed like Zofran typically is. All right. Hold your enthusiasm for the end. No, I love this. Okay. So on Prazosin, which is our next and final drug, also known as Minipress. No, it's I, never been known as Minipress in my entire life. In my career it was, and it, was, uh, it wasn't a medicine that I liked when I came out of practice. I would frequently stop it because lisinopril was coming out but anyway um and and there was a lot of side effects with minipress and i think that that's one of the problems is that uh you know has anybody ever actually used it for hypertension they did back in my early career you would see it used quite a bit when my mom was still in nursing school probably but i think that the biggest issues with it were really the edema the fatigue the dizziness and people just didn't feel that great on it and now, of course, it's been FDA approved for hypertension, right? But it's more of a second and third line kind of thing. No. Second well, and third line? Yeah. Have you ever prescribed it? No, I have not. In the top, like, no. five lines? Not for this. I have not. No. Not even, like, as a medication that it's, like, that secondary impact. We're going to, like, oh, you need this and this, so we'll throw this at you, like I, the antipsychotics for alcohol? I generally don't use Prazosin. But it is an alpha-1 adrenoreceptor antagonist, right? So... So that's how we see it dropping oh, a little bit of the blood pressure. So was, let's just mind. talk about a couple of the studies, and then we're going to be done, and we're just going to pack it up. You and just be done want for me to stop talking. I do. And so <laughs> first off, in 2015 and 2018, so Simpson, this person, and I believe it's a woman, I could be wrong, Probably. Um, and her friends uh, came, out, came out the first time in 2015, and they did this really interesting study that was six weeks, double-blind, controlled pilot clinical trial. See, that these fast. women know how to do a double-blind placebo-controlled study. I'm not 100% one, but I think it is. And it is. what they did is they went from, you know, anywhere between four and eight milligrams of prazosin for that six weeks. And what they found was that they could lower the number of drinking days. But interestingly, they had also had patients who had PTSD in this trial seem to make no benefit for PTSD symptoms. That's interesting. But remember, this comorbid, right? So you've got you've got this issue with alcohol and PTSD, and you're trying one drug. So hold, my question. Hold that thought. Ugh, I'll ask my questions. I'll save okay. them. So then 
She comes back, does another study in 2018. And this is her second trial. It's a follow-up with a larger sample size. And this was actually in the American Journal of Psychiatry in 2018. So now she took 90 patients with alcohol use disorder, but found patients with no PTSD. Okay. 12-week blinded study. Half the patients got placebo. You know, and they were doing four milligrams in the morning, four in the afternoon, eight at bedtime. That's a lot. Do you know what the dosing was for blood pressure? I can't remember because I never used it. I have no idea. And here's what Simpson and her friends found. They found that the number of heavy drinking days clearly decreased over time compared to placebo. You know what I love about Simpson? What do you like? Is that they, she looked, I'm going to say she, I'm sorry if you're a dude and you're listening. Yeah, I think it's a she. If you're a dude and you want to email us the addiction connection podcast at Gmail, by all means, please do. Yeah, we'll apologize. I'm, I might. No, um, I'm sorry. I'm not really trying to be mean to all y'all male listeners. I'm just joking with Kurt here. That she looked at the number of heavy drinking days decrease rather than just total abstinence. Yeah. Harm reduction. I suspect she has more studies going. Ooh. So the last. Stay tuned. Well. We'll bring you episode 200 soon. <laughs> so the last study is actually uh, a Greek name, Patrakis. I like that. And his friends in 2016. <laughs> and so he pulls off this randomized double-blind clinical trial with 96 veterans who had PTSD and alcohol use disorder. Again, it's like this has been a drug that people have used for PTSD. I think you have. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's like, does it help both? What's the deal? So the results of their study showed that prazosin was really not effective in treating PTSD or reducing alcohol consumption. And their concern was that when people have a comorbid condition of PTSD and alcohol use disorder, it affects the efficacy of prazosin. That in fact, it may work for one, it may work for PTSD on its own if they don't have an alcohol use disorder. And it may work for an alcohol use disorder if they don't have PTSD. This is mind blowing. I know. To be honest with you, I'm not even trying to make fun of you right now because- Well, that's rare. It really is mind blowing because if you look at the comorbidity of alcohol use disorder with PTSD, as well as any, and, and I'm speaking, any PTSD, not just veterans, like the study was done on veterans. Yeah. So it, it is interesting. So, I mean, the, the bottom line really is that it holds promise, right, for, for alcohol use disorder. And there need to be further studies. But I think that if I was ever to use Prazosin, I would try and make sure it was somebody who also didn't have PTSD. Because Which for some crazy. reason, there's a, there's a weird comorbid kind of a glitch here where it just doesn't <sighs> seem to work alone. That but it clearly, me. yeah, but it decreases heavy drinking days. No, but it irritates me. Yeah. Because so many people that we see in our addiction clinic have yes. PTSD oh, or yeah. have trauma or A scores and all of the above. Every and day. And so it's like you want to treat, I like to use as few medications as possible to treat whatever people have, right? That's like what we learned in med school, at least what I learned. And it's kind of like we talked about the antipsychotics. If you can treat two things with one med, do it. But now this one's saying, yeah. if you have two things, don't do it. Yeah. So I think the bottom line for this series, because I I may be the first person on this podcast to actually have a series of talks that I can recall. And and basically what I would say is that, you know. I mean, we'd have been talking for an hour and a half, man. I'm glad we broke it up. Yeah, I think it's important to individualize what you do for patients. And I think that often... Um, there are off-label medications that, again, may may help another problem that the patient has 
another medical issue on top of decreasing their alcohol use. So um, I just want to refresh that the only three medications approved yes. for alcohol use disorder is abuse, acamprosate. acamprosate, and naltrexone. Yep. And all the other ones are off-label at this time. And a lot of them are under study. You know, I mean, there's there's so much. And there were actually other more obscure things in this. So, Yeah. And, you know, we kind of mentioned it. One of these past millions that Kurt's series of 424, that night is currently studying a lot of these things. So yeah. mm-hmm. I think yeah. this is what I find is my bottom line. Okay. Is that it's super awesome that this is being studied. Yeah. In a lot of different ways with a lot of different meds and meds that currently exist, you know, to try to help patients with use disorders of any kind. I mean, this is specific to alcohol use disorder, but anyway, thank you, Nida. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with (laughs) more alcoholism, but we're looking at the relationship of alcohol use disorder and the risk of alcohol use disorder in relation to eye color. Yeah, that's something that we stumbled across. Not Thank you, Katie. We, not because we couldn't see. <laughs> Katie, our coordinator who nothing about addiction prior to meeting us years ago, who now sends us studies. Yeah, she came across this, so it's pretty interesting. It's super interesting because you both have blue eyes. Yes. All right, well, thank you so much. Old fishermen, listen to me. I'll sing you a song of the fish in the sea. So blow you winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound for the southward, steady we go. First comes a bluefish, a wagon his tail. He comes up on deck and yells, All hands make sail. So blow you winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound for the southward, steady we go. Come the eels with their nimble tails They jump up aloft and loose all the sails So blow you winds westerly, westerly blow We're bound for the southward, steady we go Then comes the mackerel with his striped back He flops up on bridge and yells for the main tack So blow you winds westerly, westerly blow We're bound for the southward, steady we go up jumps the fisherman, stalwart and grim, and with his big net, he scoops them all in. So blow you winds westerly, westerly blow, we're bound for the southward, steady we go. 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 Steady we go.